Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 13. I guess we're here for lucky 13, huh, Steve? <laughs> I hope. So uh, today I have Steve G sitting here with me, and Steve is going to read uh, one of his uh, one of his favorite readings from uh, the literature. And Steve, I'll pass it over to you now. Just start that out. Okay, this is a reading from the back of the book and one of the stories. And um, it was real important to me a few years ago when I was going through something, and um, maybe it'll hit home for somebody out there. It's uh, from the story, He Who Loses His Life. It's in uh, the third edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. For me, AA is a synthesis of all the philosophy I've ever read, all the positive, good philosophy, all of it based on love. I've seen that there is only one law, the law of love, and there are only two sins. The first is to interfere with the growth of another human being, and the second is to interfere with one's own growth. Right. And that's from he who loses his life in the back of the book, right? Correct. Very nice. I like that. All right. So at Sober Speak, you are going to find podcasts of people sharing their story of recovery, much like you do at an AA speaker meeting. Uh, these men and women, uh, men in this particular case, will tell us their story centered around the AA 12 Steps of Recovery. My name is John M., and I am an alcoholic. I'll be the host of this episode number 13. Uh, we welcome all of your comments. We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us at feedback at soberspeak.com. Uh, in fact, you could just go to the uh, website if you'd like to, soberspeak.com, and uh, find us there to give your feedback. Uh, Soberspeak is a self-supporting uh, institution. Where through our own contributions, we are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope of recovery with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest. Thank you, Mr. Steve G. So just on the start here, go ahead and uh, give us your sobriety date so people know it's uh, possible to stay sober for extended periods of time. Um, by the grace of God and Alcoholics Anonymous, it's November 7th of 1997. It's unbelievable to me. That is unbelievable. All of us, right? It's a, a day at a time, and like you said, by the grace of God. So I want to start with a real hard-hitting question here. All right? And the hard-hitting question is, um, how long have you been riding that Harley that I see you on sometimes? Uh, that one only a couple of years. I start. I bought my first bike after I sobered up. Really? Oh, uh, so you had never, or at least not on a consistent basis, getting on the back of a, uh, uh, or on the top, or however you call that, <laughs> on a motorcycle until after you sobered up. Well, I, I rode dirt bikes when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so what prompted you to get a, a Harley or a motorcycle when you got sober? Do you remember? No, I don't. Uh, I had some friends who were riding, and I thought I'd join them, and took a safe riding class. And Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they have riding classes, right? Oh, sure. Is sure, it sure. like riding, uh, like when you get your driver's license, like your 15-year-old has to take driver's ed? Um, no, it's, it's, it's similar, but um, they, you get to ride on their bikes. And, um, okay. so it's I bet they nice. don't have Harleys. No, they don't. <laughs> They've got a little cheap little, well, they've got different kinds of bikes, but, um, but I had ridden on smaller bikes like that, so. By the just out of curiosity, I don't know we're really getting off track here, but do you have to have, <laughs> do you have to have a safe riding uh, class in order to get a license? No, no, okay. you can just, um, no, really? you don't. You, um, you get a break on your insurance quite a bit. So. Oh, God, 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 so Most people do that. And most people want to ride safely. You know, I've ridden all over the western United States. Yeah, so every, that's what I wanted to ask about. What, every me. state west of the Mississippi except Alaska and Hawaii. Really? Yes. So you, on your motorcycle? On my motorcycle. My God. One of my three or four motorcycles. Right, I've right, right. On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Right, so you start from here in the Dallas area. Correct. And then you... Just go. Yep. 
Last summer we went up around, uh, we went kind of east, but we went up through Indiana and um, checked out Notre Dame's campus. And then we uh, went along Lake Michigan and up across um, Mackinac Bridge and up into Canada around Lake Superior and then back down the Mississippi. So that was a pretty cool trip. How long does that take? Like two or three days? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was about a 10 or 12 day trip probably. Really? Yeah. And so, and where do you do you like find a hotel to sleep oh, yeah. in? Or okay, yeah. so you're not like you're not like no, uh, pulling off to the no. side of the world. No, yeah. no, no, no. Okay, so you find a hotel wherever you can, and then just uh, stay for the night and get up and go at it again. A lot of fun. Yeah, sounds great. And when you say we, is there usually uh, is there a? Pack? It's just uh, no. It's just me and another guy. Okay, gotcha. Cool. We both have off in the summer, so. Yeah. It's kind of nice. Well, to me, the interesting part is you started all that after you got sober, right? Uh, people people think that uh, you hear this all the time. What am I going to do after I get sober? Am I going to be the hole in the donut? Am I going to... Boring and glum. away, right? Boring and glum. <laughs> you know, am I going to have to do the polka all the time with all these old people or something like that? Uh-huh. That's what I thought. I don't think I've done the polka since I saw it. <laughs> well, that maybe uh, maybe we should go take a polka class uh, together. I'll watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, tell me a little bit. Uh, <coughs> tell me about where you uh, where you grew up. I don't think you grew up in Texas, right? No, I um, <clears throat> grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Missouri. Uh, and I know this is not why we're here to talk about it. State of misery. Why, why do they state of misery? <clears throat> why do they call it the uh, show me state? Do you know? Um, they, no, it's just a saying. You know, show me. I'm from Missouri. You know, it's kind of like a AA. You know, I want to see the action. Right. You got to oh, take the uh, okay. action. You know. Okay, so it is like a. Uh, I'm not going to believe it till you show me type of a Correct. saying, right? So show me what you're talking <clears throat> about. Don't talk about it, right? Sure. Huh. Well, maybe, I bet they have the show me groups up in Missouri. Uh, they pro- yeah, they do. They do? They do. There's yeah. a show me group in Denton, I believe. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How about that? Uh, all right. So you grew up in Missouri. Uh, how, how long were you there? Until uh, I sobered up. Sobered up about three weeks before I moved to Texas back in um, 1997. So I'm, I'm a 55 model, so I was there from... Late, 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 55 till um, 1997. I so you, was 41 years old when I moved here. You said you sobered up three weeks before you moved here? Mm-hmm. Well, well that's a, an interesting trend. So you were getting sober and moving out of the state that you had lived in for your entire life at Correct. the same time. Correct. That's a few changes going on at once. A little bit. So what prompted that move from Missouri to Texas? I... Um, I had been going to AA meetings, um, mostly sober, for four years, mm-hmm. and um, it just um, it just wasn't working in St. Louis. You know, I had um, too many all my old haunts and um, a lot of memories there yeah. and stuff. So yeah. it was I just could not put the booze down. You know. So you wanted to get a change of scenery. Figured I'd try a geographic and... Um, well, most times geographics don't work, but I apparently know. in this case it did. Well, so far. Well, okay, so that's when you... Okay, so there's more to the story. No, no, I... Uh, oh, 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 so far as of today, right? As of We're, today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's a while. Well, I figured I'd give it a, a year, mm-hmm. and if it didn't work, I was going to um, cash in all my chips and go to the Caribbean and <laughs> just... Uh, Drink myself to death down there because I knew I was hopeless at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you came down here mm-hmm. and... Um, I had a relative living down here, so... Okay. What, what's your relative? Like... A cousin. A cousin, okay. So you just came to be near your cousin and say, let's just start over and see how it goes. Yep. Okay. It's going through a divorce, so... Okay, well, let's back up a little bit then. So it looks like you were... Uh, the cousin was going through a divorce, or you were going through a divorce. I. You were going through a divorce. So, so how long were you married before you came down here? Uh, we were together seventeen years. Wow. Okay. So you were together seventeen years. You were getting sober. You were moving. You were coming to Texas, 
And that's a lot going on at once. Well, they tell you not to make any drastic changes in the first years. <laughs> so you went ahead and just <laughs> bucked the system <laughs> at about every level you possibly could. Probably. Yeah. But actually, for the, like I said, for you, it worked. And um, so, so you got down here. Um, how did you find a group down here? What kind of process did you go through for that? And was it a love at first sight with another group? or <clears throat> No, um... My cousin knew this guy who um, was going to meetings somewhere. Mm-hmm. He was going to um, ODAD over in Plano. Yeah, yeah. There weren't any. Frisco was very, it was 18,000 people when I moved here, right. you know. And um, So were you living in Frisco at the time when mm-hmm. you first came down? I moved okay. down here. Gotcha. And, um, Small community at the time. Yes. And my, my cousin was a friend of uh, the fire chief, and he hooked me up with um, some people at over at ODAT. Gotcha. So how long did you go to that particular group? Uh, quite a few years, but um, it was my home group for probably about eight years. Okay. Just, um... And then you moved up to Frisco, I believe? Well, I um, I actually went over to Legacy. Legacy, I went over there for about a year as yeah. my home group. Yeah. And then um, moved up to the Frisco group. But in the... In the midst of all that that moving and stuff, I had um I had this um, fire chief friend of mine and yeah. I had gone to um the first meeting of the Frisco group, you know, about nine, 18, 19 years ago. Wow. Now. Oh, so you were there at the first meeting? Yes. Well, Did not. we rented a room at the uh, yeah. college. I guess it was our first meeting outside somebody's home. You know? Really. Yeah. Did not know that. So you rented a room at the college. Like <laughs> for a little while, and then we moved it over to um, the, um, the Methodist church. church. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, and we moved around a couple of different places there inside that church, and then moved over to Stonebriar Church. Okay, very and, interesting. But now my home group's in a different church. Yes, yeah. yeah. And what's it? Yeah, Shivering Denizens. Now tell uh, people. So the the name of the group. Once again, I just want to repeat that is Shivering Denizens. Uh, for those of you who have read the big book, and I hope uh, if you're in the program, you are reading that big book and you recognize that phrase from the book. Uh, can Can you talk a little bit of and. I mean, I know the term, but do you know the history behind that actual uh, I do not. phraseology? I do not. What? I know it comes from the, you know, the term shivering denizens of his mad realm, you right. know, king alcohol. Right. That's mm. interesting. We'd have to, I'll have to Google that after we're done with this, because I'm sure there's some sort of history about how it got uh, created or where it is. Who knows, right? All right. Um, okay, so let's... Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of your background. Uh, like I said, I know. Talk to me a little bit about your your family and where you came from, uh, how it shaped your sobriety, um, how it has shaped your uh, uh, experience in life. Um, uh, and so let's let's just dive into that. I know a little bit of it, but I probably don't know all of it. So why don't we just start there? What comes to mind for you? Um, <clears throat> you know, I grew up in St. Louis. Like I said, I was one of three kids, mm-hmm. middle child. My brother was two and a half years older, little sister five years younger. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you think it's... A, I guess we all, our normal is what we grow up with, right. you know, so we don't realize maybe how dysfunctional is it at the time, you right. know. Um, my father, you know, liked his beer. He was, um, he had seven brothers and one sister. Good Catholic, Irish, alcoholic right. family, you know. CIAs as CIA, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, my dad was the second oldest brother, second oldest in the family, and um so, you know, we, growing up, it was um, a lot of extended family. My grandparents were both born in Ireland, my dad's parents. Oh, wow. And um, my mother was one of nine. <laughs> a lot and, of kids um, hanging yeah, around. And so on both sides of my family, there was a lot of extended family, a lot of a lot of cousins and stuff. Um, my mother's family was a 
a lot more dysfunctional than my dad's was. My, my father's family was more just alcoholic and functional. My mother's was... Um, was your dad alcohol? You mentioned he liked his beer. Does that mean he would... Do you know? I mean, I know he, we really can't, quote, diagnose somebody else, yeah, but did I, he show um, the signs? He drank every day, yes. Okay, gotcha. You know, but he went to work every day. Right. He was, um, you know, he was a functional alcoholic. On the weekends, he, he, you know, his day started a little earlier on weekends. But, <laughs> did it um, affect his uh, mood, so to speak, around the house, or was it fairly um, consistent? It was pretty consistent. Um, a lot of he kind of as I started realizing about seven or eight, ten years old that um, my dad was my mom's caretaker. She had a lot of um, uh-huh. a lot of uh, mental issues, you know. Um, Help depression, that. right, right, depression, and um, you know now they, I, you know, it was diagnosed back then as manic depressive, I believe. You know, now it's um, bipolar. Yeah. Same stuff, you know, right. where, um, you know, she'd, she'd close all the drapes and crawl into bed for a month or two at a time, you know. Wow. And my dad would be doing, you know, going to work and taking care of us kids and, and, um, all three then, of you. you know, she'd be, get out of the bed and, um, you know, paint the house in a week, you know. Right. Yeah. You know, it was just, um, and you know, you don't realize how crazy that is until you get older. Right. But uh, my dad's family was off, awful lot of fun. <laughs> you know, I mean, grandma and grandpa lived next door to my Uncle Jack, and that's where we spent a lot of weekends. Yeah. You know, all the holidays, you know, and um, it was just hilarity. My dad had a bunch of crazy drunk brothers who were um they were fun drunks though they i never saw any of the anger you know or anything and so it was um it was a lot of fun <laughs> you know so good it, you, so in some respects you had a good childhood another like this is like most of us right? i think it's a so. mix of everything i think so you know but um you know i guess um at about age 12 you know my mom um i went to the psych ward with my dad to see my mother what was she there for? Do you remember? Uh, no. Okay. You know. Was that the first time she'd been there? Or? It's the first time I had any knowledge of it. Right, I, I don't know that it was the first time she was there. Right. But, um, but you know, it's... Were your other brothers and sisters with you? Or did... My mom, my brother and my sister didn't come. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just myself. And um, I just was worried about her. And um, I was even more worried when I left there because... Psych words back in the mid to late 60s were, you know, pretty different. Like uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, yes. It was, um, you know, I, yes, it was quite a bit different. So you went to go see her. Yeah, and I was, it kind of terrified me, you know. And um, from that point on, you know, she, we'd, about every two or three years, she'd uh, check into a psych ward. Well, we'd check her in and, you know, was we'd tell everybody that she had pneumonia again. <laughs> right. It was the little, uh, right. little secrets, right. you know, and um, try to look normal, you know, or whatever normal was, you know. But, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we'd get her tuned up and she'd be okay for a couple of three years. And, right. Do you spin out of control again? Do you have any idea what they did to tune her up? Was it medicine? Was it treatment? It was mainly medicine. I know she had shock treatments a few times. You know yeah. whatever they did concerning that. Um, you know, I my brother just moved away when he went to college and never came back, and that was kind of how he dealt with it. And then, um, my little sister and I kind of tried to help my dad out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know? All right, so so that gives us a pretty apt description of kind of, you know, what you're growing up with there. So talk about your, uh, I guess, your suit. Like we already talked a little bit about your brother, your sister, how they dealt with it. Um, talk about them a little bit and what um, their, their spot in your life, I guess. Well, my brother, you know, he was two and a half years older, and um, I kind of resented him when I was a kid because... He was, he was always into books, read a whole lot. Um, you know, he, um, 
he wanted to, he had a clear vision of what he wanted to do in life. Mm-hmm. And he did it, you know. He um, went to an Ivy League school, got a full scholarship, um, went to an Ivy League school for his master's and, you know, went to work, um, you know, lived all over Europe, learned a bunch of languages. I think he was fluent in seven languages. Wow. And, um, you know, went to work at Merrill Lynch and... Um, New York City and lived in New York City. Man. Enjoyed his, you know. Right. It was um, just what he wanted to do. And my little sister, you know, she was kind of like, once he left, you know, I guess I was only um, 14 or so. Yeah. You know, and um, Kathy was five years younger than that. So, you know, I guess it was, you know, pretty much her and I, you know, and kind of. Kind of, um, you know, my mom was getting worse and worse, yeah. you know, but she continued along that path her, path her um, whole life, really, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So what did your, so talk about your, I, I guess your brother and sister in terms of, uh, you know, where they are now, what progressed, how, you know. Okay. Well, um. You know, so I let me back up a little. I didn't start drinking till the advanced age of twelve. Um, you know, that was when I first got drunk, and it it took the edge off. It it you know I made it where I could breathe again. You know, and so um, you know I did that. And I started doing that from that point on as often as I could. Right. You know, and um, so. So it's 12, were you drinking, like, uh, how were you drinking when you were 12? Like once a week, you know, once every... Uh, weekends. Yeah, yeah, the weekends. Yeah, whenever we could get it. And, you know, I'd, I'd obsess about it because we'd get it and hide it in the woods. And, right. You know, I'd <laughs> run back and check on it and make sure it was still there, you know, for the weekend. And Do you remember how you got it? Were, were you having adults buy kids, it for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd yeah. buy it for you. We had, we had some guys in the neighborhood who would come back from yeah. Nam. And they were um, they were just kind of hanging out back from Vietnam. You can always find those kids and adults that can, oh, yeah. you know, contribute to a juvenile's uh, delinquency. It was funny because the first guy I, I um, got drunk with, his father was a veterinarian. And my dad and him had gone to high school together. Yeah. And so, um, so we figured out pretty quick, his son and I figured out that... Um, we could go down in the basement of his vet clinic and find um, outdated doggy downers and cat downers <laughs> and stuff like that, okay? And so we could trade those to those guys that came back from Vietnam for the stuff we wanted. And it worked out great. <laughs> outdated doggy downers and cat downers. Now, I've not heard of that one before. I've heard a lot of them. I didn't even know that was available. I'm glad I didn't know that was available when I was young. <laughs> it it worked, you know. It was the the you know the drugs they'd give them for oh, yeah. travel and that kind of stuff. Right, you right. Know? Apparently, they work on humans as well. Did not know they that. did. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, I I never liked that kind of stuff. <laughs> but we pulled out his father's PDR, you know, from his vet clinic. And what's a PDR? Uh, physician's desk reference. It'll tell you where all what all the dr- different drugs do. So. <laughs> was, um, do they translate that from this is a dog dosage to this is a human dosage, or do you uh, just multiply times you the way? Just weight? kind of figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit of roll of the dice. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so uh, um, and and so, then we have a we and AA have a. A problem turning our will and our lives over to the care of God, but but we'll do it to doggy downers and cat downers, you know, in <laughs> a in a PDR sitting on someone's desk. <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, yeah. So that's how it started, and then you know you go off to college, and um, you know I um, I tried to keep my my grade point above my blood alcohol content but I wasn't real <laughs> successful all the time so um, you know I struggled through college it took me took me quite a while to get through college yeah it yeah, is all in the, what, what college did you go to I went to Mizzou in, okay in Columbia Missouri and um, they asked me to leave after two and a half years 
And you know. do you, was there a particular reason? Was it like just the academic? It was academic probation right. for about two years. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> just keeping it right there, you know, where they wouldn't drive me out of there. But um, so I went back to St. Louis and got into sales, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, did what I could. And um, so when did you get married? Um, actually, I um, in 1983. I sold a, well, in 1981, I sold a car to my future wife, and, um, and we started dating, Yeah. and um, and uh, we got married in 83, okay. you know, so. Um, so that was from 83 to, what'd you say, 17 years, uh, and then you. Well, we uh, started dating in 81 until um, 1997, 98, where our divorce was final, you know? Yeah. No kids, right? No kids, no right. kids, and um, you know, but along the way, um, you know, yes, what my brother and sister, um, you know, my brother, like I say, he was very successful. He yeah. um, he ended up being vice president of Merrill Lynch when he was twenty eight or nine, you wow. know, and he could speak a lot of languages, yeah. knew Europe real well. So he was um, editor of the European Prospectus for Merrill Lynch that came out quarterly. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I've got some interviews of him on CNN and stuff. Oh, wow. It's, yeah, it's kind of cool. Transferred him over to DVDs. and um, So that's kind of interesting. He, um, you know, in 86, he um, he told us he had AIDS. Oh, wow. And, um, and that following summer in June, he came back from New York after Christmas, 86, and that summer of 87, he passed away from AIDS at my parents' house. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, that was kind of tough, that's for sure. But Did you get to talk to him much before <clears throat> oh, he yeah. passed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had, we, um, I could see him every day, you know. Yeah. And um, I'd, um, you know, it was it was pretty scary with AIDS back then. A lot, not a lot of people wanted to visit and stuff. And, right. And um, I think we only had... My, a couple of my mom's sisters came over and saw him during that time, and one of my dad's brothers came, but um, everybody else was afraid to, really, you know. Oh, wow. So he's and, dying, um, and he's ostracized at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it was, it was kind of, it was pretty heartbreaking, but, um, you know, I used to throw him in my car. Well, not throw him, but I'd carry, him out, to, I'd carry him out to my car, and we'd take him for drives every now and then, you know, just get him out of the house, because he was... In a hospital bed in my folks, you know, back bedroom. And, um, you know, it's, um, you know, it was a relief when he died, as sad as it was, you know, because um, it's a pretty horrible death. You know, I think he, he weighed about 80 pounds when he died, you know. Wow. And, um, you know, you just, at disease. Back then, there, was, there wasn't any anything they could do, really. Yeah. You know, right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And so, do what, what do you do? You remember anything about the service or anything like that for him? <laughs> it's funny you ask that. Um, you know, my parents were still Catholic. Yeah. And um, the I can remember the priest came down and um, and gave last rites to him. A couple of days before he died, and was um, he in the hospital at this time? No, he was in. He was at my parents' house. He was okay. Gotcha. He died at their house. You know, we had hospice care and what have you. Okay. And um, the priest, the priest went back and talked to him, and I was out front with my wife and um, my little sister and my parents. You know, out in their living room and stuff. And the priest came out and said that, um, you know, he had given him the last rites and. Uh, God was going to forgive him for his sin of being gay because um, all the suffering he'd been through. And um, I almost punched that priest. I pushed him out the door. And and so we had to, um, we had to have the service um, at um, my wife and I's church instead of the Catholic church. They wouldn't let us have a service there even. Why? Because he was gay. Really? Yes. Now, this is summer of 87. I'm, right, I understand. I'm sure it's changed some. And, right, you know. right. But, um, 
So he was... Um, and they were forthright about that, right? They said he can't have a service here because he was gay. Well, they made up some other right. excuse. I understand, I understand. You know, but that was, um, that was pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah. So then let me shift to this then. That must have affected, in some form or fashion, your view of the Catholic Church as a whole. I, you know, I was I went to parochial schools for um, through second grade. Yeah, and we got yanked out after that, and um, we didn't go back to church for many years. We didn't. My parents didn't go back for many years, and I I don't know what happened, but I think something happened between maybe my mom and a priest or something, or my there was an argument or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. I never right. asked. You know, it's one of those secrets again, you know. Right. So I was kind of glad about it because I didn't have to go to parochial <laughs> schools. I didn't. I never connected with the Catholic faith, you know. It was in Latin. Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't. I figured out pretty quickly that um, if the more you told that guy in the in the confessional <laughs> on the other side of that screen, the more punishment you got in in the form of <laughs> Hail Marys and Our Fathers. So. So it, what, how does that play out when you get a, a, a punishment in terms of a Hail Mary and Our Fathers? Does that mean you have to, what, what, what do you have to do? Because I've heard that term before, but what, what <clears throat> physically do you have to do after you get that punishment? You go to the pew and, and you pray a rosary. And, well, wait a second, and, you're, and you're rubbing your hands together to pray a rosary. Yeah. So rosaries, when you say pray, so like you go to the pew, you get on your knees you have that those rosary beads, and you can't count it. How many you know our fathers or hail marys you have to do? You so like, what, what does that mean? Like, what do you, when you do an our father? What does that mean? You're doing? You say the prayer. You say the prayer. So you could say our father who art in heaven. How you could you do say that. it much quicker than that. Right. <laughs> but you could do that ten times over. Oh yeah. Oh really? So you just so you so, get, so yeah. it's a rote thing. Yes. Okay. And and what's the the hail? What's hail Mary? I I I don't remember. I should I'll <laughs> probably get struck by lightning here. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but, hail Mary, full of grace. I, oh, okay. I but it, it's a prayer. Oh yes. Okay. Absolutely. It's a prayer, much like the Our Father. Yes. So you get the rosary beads, and and what is the the idea of the rosary bead? Do you when you say you're counting them, does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> I should know this stuff, but I turned my back on the Catholic religion. After second grade, I nuns didn't like me. I didn't like them. <laughs> you mean you didn't like the things on your uh, knuckles or no. whatever they did? And they they could dig their fingernails in between, behind your ear real well. <laughs> and um, yeah, I got hauled out of church every morning. Just about me and Casey Stengel. <laughs> church every morning at school, you know. Casey Stengel, yeah, <laughs> your buddy, my buddy. <laughs> That sounds but, like a is that like a famous baseball player or something? There a Casey Stingle out oh, there? Wait, it wasn't Casey. It was maybe it's Casey something. <laughs> anyway, all right. Wow. If if somebody knows the answer to that, emails as, as That's email cool. us at feedback at soberspeak or we could just Google this after we get off the maybe. podcast. I could Google it now. Casey Stingle was definitely a ball player. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go wait a second. A manager or something. That, uh, yeah. All right. So nonetheless, um, I so I digress. So, uh, so we were talking about how that affected your view, and you know, and here's why I, I say that: uh, you are not alone, um, and I was one of them as well. In thinking, you know, people come into AA a lot, and you hear this all the time, and they have some sort of. Uh, tainted view, if you will, of religion in general, right? Uh, in reality, from my perspective at least, religion does a lot of good, but there's also a lot of bad in there, and you have to kind of sift out what's in, much like AA, right? There's AA is not perfect, right? Sure. I mean, it's made of people, and uh, if you come in and you want to find something that is... Uh, um, uh, unwhole, if you will, or a bunch of hypocrites, right? We always say, come on down, we got room for another hypocrite, you're going to be just fine in here. So if you want to, it, you can find what you're looking for. So when when the book says, be quick to see where religious people are right, how do you, 
and you went through the experience that you went through there with that one particular priest. How do you shore that up? Well, you know, I um, when I got married in 83, I, I um, got baptized, I guess, again, mm-hmm. got dunked again um, mm-hmm. in the... Um, in the Presbyterian religion, mm-hmm. and it's, I guess it's like Catholic light kind of, you know, um, but it, it felt, I, f- I started feeling like, okay, I can, I felt a little more connected. I mean, I always believed there was some kind of higher power, God, whatever, up, mm-hmm. out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that, that first, um, the first and second grade really tainted my, um, you know, my it built in some prejudices against, mm-hmm. like the book talks about, mm-hmm. uh, towards the Catholic religion for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I, a funny sidebar. Um, well, it's not funny, but <clears throat> my, you know, when I was about twelve years sober, my uncle Jim, my dad's youngest brother, passed away, and um, back in St. Louis, and um, so I went back for the funeral. Mm-hmm. And it was in a church, of, and the church was made in the round, like, where the uh, the altar was in the middle of the church. Mm-hmm. And all the pews were facing the middle. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was getting irritated through that service because of the standing, kneeling, sitting, all that right. stuff that I still don't remember. Yeah. And, um, you know, I could see faces on the other side of that church, though. And those people were getting exactly what they needed out of that service. Right. I wasn't getting anything as far as the service went. I was talking to God myself, but they were getting exactly what they needed out of that service. So right. that's the good. That, right. You know, some people, absolutely. I've got good, good friends that uh, still go to Catholic right. Church on a regular, regular basis. And different um, strokes for different folks. Sure, right. sure. Yeah, you get what you out. need. So... We were talking about your uh, your mom a little bit earlier. Um, how did that relationship progress once you got into sobriety? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, it didn't didn't get any better. Um, yeah. Well, by that t- by the time I got sober, um, I probably need to back up just a little because, um, like I say, my brother passed away in June of '87. And uh, so it was just my little sister and I. And then in March of uh, 89, my little sister was killed in a car accident. Wow. And um, so at that time... Was she in Missouri? Like, she was in St. Louis. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I went, I went down to the hospital with my father, you know, because she was in a car accident. We didn't know what, what had carried, you know, what had happened. And... Um, so we went in the emergency room, and they, they put us in a room off to the side, and I, I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, this isn't good, you know. And a doctor came in and said, Mr. Gaffney, your daughter died instantly, you know. And um, so we had to go down to the morgue, and they unzipped the body bag and all that stuff, okay. you know. And that didn't help my relationship with God, you know. Um you know, I was really, really PO'd at God. Yeah. You know, um, I was I was angry at everybody, anybody who had a sibling. I was pissed at them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it's like, how come? You know, why did you take both of mine? You know, right. and um. So in '87, you had a brother and sister. Now it's '89. You're an only child. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was, you know, prior to probably probably my brother's death, you know, I was, I'd say I was a very functional alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know. From 87 to 97 when I sobered up, mm-hmm. it went downhill. Gotcha. You know? I, um, I started drinking a lot more mm-hmm. because I couldn't get rid of the pain. And um, my ex-wife, I, you know, gosh darn, I put her through hell. Right. I'm sure, you know. I mean, my sister was like her sister. She didn't, she doesn't, she's got two brothers. She doesn't have any sisters. And, um, 
And, you know, the selfishness that we, a lot of us have, you know, that, that took over, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, it was all about me and my pain, you know, and, um, so in 93, I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous and, uh, 97, I finally moved down here to Texas and, um, sobered up, you know, I had had stints of sobriety over those four, first four years I went to, um, meetings up in Missouri, I was probably sober a year and a half out of mm -hmm. those four, yeah. you know, so bits and pieces. So you knew but, enough to be dangerous, so to speak. Yeah, but, you know, also I, I knew that, you know, there was an answer here. Mm -hmm. There was an answer within Alcoholics Anonymous, mm -hmm. you know, and um, I just, uh, I don't think I was um, desperate enough to... Um, have to go to God about it because I was so angry towards God, you know, and I realized that, that my way out of this mess is a higher power, whether I like it or not. And so, um, you know, I sobered up and I moved and uh, that probably killed my, my dad, you know, because now all three of his kids aren't living there. Yeah. So you when know, did he pass? He he passed away in 03. Wait, when yeah. I was about six years sober. Yeah. And, um, you know, but uh, I think he was angry at me in, in a lot of ways. For leaving? Yeah. Yeah. But I, 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 was, I was pretty sure I was going to die if I didn't move. I understand. You know, and, um, and, you know, my wife had decided, my wife of the moment had decided that, um, you know, that she was done. Yeah. I'd gone treatment four or five times and, um, I can't blame her, you know, mm -hmm. we would keep putting up with that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, came down here. She helped me come down here and, mm -hmm. you know, helped me get my stuff down here and my, the animals. And mm -hmm. we had a little cat that was my little <laughs> sisters that, um, I got the cat and the dog and, she, she, you know, we just split up our stuff. It was pretty amicable. Yeah. You know? And, um. Wow. So she didn't get to see you. I mean, she saw you sober up briefly, but she didn't get, uh, uh, she just went through all the hell part. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, yeah. So, um, you know, um. My mom, she never came around really. After my father died, though, she wanted to move down here, and um, that was um, kind of a disaster. You know, right. she moved down here, and um, you know, I had a nice place for um, you know, independent living place, and um, she was still on that every two or three years of you know going to a psych ward, and yeah. so. Um, They'd call me when she'd get a little off and start getting mean to other residents or whatever, and I'd have to check her into a hospital for three or four weeks, and then I'd take her back there, and, you know, mm -hmm. that's how um, she kind of went out. Yeah. She died a couple, I guess, about two and a half years ago. Two and a half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, that kind of comes under the account. You know, we, we talk about it in AA all the time, but... Uh, it's not all, what do you call it, roses and, and unicorns. And, uh, you know, sometimes life is tough and you do what you can with what you have. And, you know, I've come to the conclusion a lot and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And that is everything can be fixed, right? Uh, all we can do is what we do and leave the results to God, right? We take the next best action, but everything cannot be fixed, um, so, um, all right, so um, I believe you went through a, uh, a, uh, a time of boy meets girl on AA campus, <coughs> right? And I uh, want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, so talk to me about your uh, uh, relationship, if you will, uh, within AA. Which one? Uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no. The, well, uh, they, I, I understand. The one where you ended up getting uh, married. 
Yeah, I uh, met a gal um, who was quite a bit ahead of me in the AA program, you know. Mm -hmm. She sobered up when she was 20, and um, she had a number of years. So she would have had 20 years or so when you met her, something like that, right? No, let me think. I met her... I met her when she was still married to her first husband. Okay. You know, probably back in around, um, I don't know, about 2000. Mm-hmm. Maybe 2001, somewhere around then, probably. And she was going to the Frisco group, and she was married and had a couple of kids, young mm-hmm. kids, real young kids. And, um, you know, we'd see each other and talk and, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, she ended up getting divorced and... Um, we ended up starting dating, and and we got married in 05. Okay. 2005. And um, so I, I had an instant family, you know, where I right. once, once had none, you know. And, right. So and, now you're living, so you've been living alone all these years. Well, it wasn't all these years. It was from 97 to 05. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven or eight but years. But you've been living all of your sobriety, though, so far. Right? Absolutely. And uh, so now you have a uh, you have a wife and you have two uh, good stepkids, right? And uh, so y'all are all living together. Was that quite an adjustment, or was it uh, fairly easy for you? How'd that go? It was pretty easy yeah. for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just um, they're good kids. They're still good kids, you know. Um, we start doing the deal, and um, we're both involved with Alcoholics Anonymous quite a bit. Yeah. The Frisco group. Um, <clears throat> Carrying the message, doing the deal. And we were real fortunate. We had a um, pretty nice home, and we um, we would have three summer parties every year, you know, a Memorial Day, a Fourth of July, and a Labor Day party every summer. And um, it'd be, you know, a bunch of sober drunks mm-hmm. and their families. Yeah. And it was um, it was really cool to see sobriety working yeah because i'd try to make sure all the any of the new guys that were newly sober you know and bring your family out and they'd you'd see them walk in like terrified of going to a party not drinking for the first time (laughs) and and all of a sudden their kids are running around and swimming and and um and you know they'd have a good time it was really cool right really cool right and uh what's the line in the book that says um uh, the most satisfying, oh gosh, we are people who would not normally mix, you know, and but you put us all together uh, and we can have quite a good time. Oh, we do? Yeah. Yeah. So we did that for, um, gosh darn, it was probably six or seven years. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So... So take me through that a little bit. So, and then what happened after that? Uh, well, she, um, my wife ended up getting breast cancer. Yeah. And, um, and, um, in the course of, uh, treatment for that, she, um, I, I guess she got, um, she got hooked on the pills. Yeah. You know, and started, uh, using pills and, um, gosh darn, let me think that was probably about... Um, about 12, 2012, okay. 2013, mm-hmm. something like that. And, um, you know, and it, it started getting worse and worse. You know, I'd, mm-hmm. she was um, doing things that we do, you know. Right. Just um, turn up missing and, um, you know, not acting right in front of me and the boys. And, um mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was obvious to to me and the boys anyway that something was off, you yeah. know. And, and I, you know, I um, I tried to get help, um, you know, from um, her mom and stepdad. And they didn't see what we saw, mm-hmm. you know, me and the boys had seen. And, um, and um, you know, but um, at the time, you know, obviously I had been, I'd been sober, um, I don't know, I guess um, 12, 15 years, mm-hmm. probably close to 15 years. And, um, you know, I'd been through the steps and I had really good, solid foundation of uh, 
lot of sober men around me that right. that I could count on and lean on, and um, you know, a good sponsor, and um, you know, so I would I would talk to the the men in my life about what was going on, and you know, they nobody ever told me what to do. You know, mm-hmm. they would just um, share their experience typically. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and I it finally got to the point where I. I started telling her that I couldn't live this way, you know, mm-hmm. and something had to change and you need to get help. And and she would not, um, you know, the, the, the real sad part is I think she didn't want to give up that sobriety date that she had, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it was already gone in reality, you mm-hmm. know. And, um, and she just didn't want to give it up and kept living that, that um, you know, in that, in that lie. And... Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so I did divorce her. Mm-hmm. We divorced, and um, her kids, um, she was in pretty bad shape by that time, and her kids went to live with her mom and stepdad, and um, she started, you know, she was living in a house that um, that she had owned prior to our, to our marriage, you mm-hmm. know. We had never sold them. We had rented out and stuff. <clears throat> and... Um, Gosh darn, let me think. Uh, I guess in, it's, it's hard to remember exactly the years, but, um, you know, that was, so I guess it was about two years she was, she was trying to get sober some, I believe. I, she, she went to treatment mm-hmm. and um, sobered up for time. And I think was it more some, off the, when you say sober up, was it more off the pills or drinking or do you know if it's, maybe you don't know. Was it a I'm not absolutely sure. I've yeah. heard stories that it was both. I got you. You know, yeah. but her I Her story, know. right. I That's know. her story. Yeah. And, um, you know, and um, so in, I guess, let me think, January of um, 2017, so about, 14, 15 months ago, she um, she ended up committing suicide. She couldn't get sober and stay sober. And um, it was uh, it was pretty sad. Yeah, that's very sad. It is. So I guess, um, and I'm trying to think of the lesson from that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of lessons. Um, and... Um, I'll just speak for myself and what I'm thinking about, and that is if you're out there and you have gone back out, there's no shame, so to speak, in coming back into the rooms. Uh, We don't shoot our wounded, as they say. Um, We're here to help, right? Not here to judge. Uh, And sobriety dates are sobriety dates, right? Absolutely. The main thing is that we... Do the next right thing, uh, keep sober a day at a time, and um, um, just come on back in. Um, you know, um, all right, so I want to uh, turn a corner a little bit, and that is, I know you do a lot of work with uh, conferences, uh, one, one conference in particular, uh, and that is the uh, Crestabue Conference up in uh, July, at the end of July. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that, your involvement with that. Um, you know what it's meant to you over the years, and uh, sure. sure, I um, I'm definitely involved with um, you know I like conferences a lot. Um, Melissa and I used to go out to the Tyler conference in January right. every year. And um, so, just for the listeners who may not, Melissa was is that the ex-wife or the correct the wife correct. that you just talked about, right? Right. <clears throat> so y'all would go out there together. Oh sure, yeah. and then we um. You know, and we ended up getting on the board, board of directors for the Crest Butte conference, mm-hmm. and um, and so um, you know, it was um, you go up there every summer. I was going up there every summer from uh, we got married in '05, so '05 was the first summer I went up there. Mm-hmm. And I haven't missed one yet. I hope right. I don't miss one for right. a while until <laughs> I can't breathe up there, you know. But um, it's a week-long conference. It's a family conference. Yeah. AA 
and Al-Anon yeah. and Alateens. Right. It's um. It's a great conference. I've been up there myself. And for anybody who may be listening out there, uh, what's the website that they go to for that particular? We we don't uh, anyway. Go ahead. We aren't promoting. Anything, yeah, we're not promoting but anything. But if you want to go visit this website, you're if more you want to have a good week at the end of July when it's 100 <laughs> degrees in Texas. Right. Um, it's a lot of Texas. cbconference.org. CB, like Crested Butte, conference.org. O-R-G. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, it's got all the information there, but it's it's a week long, a lot of activities, outdoor activities, you know, uh, whitewater rafting, fly fishing, hiking, mm-hmm. uh, mountain biking, uh, Jeep tours, yeah. you name it. You but know, there's a lot of drive. AA meetings as well, right? Oh, yes. So there's kinda... four or five AA meetings a day. There's four or five Al-Anon meetings a day. There's a speaker every night, Monday through Friday. It's it's a week-long vacation conference, better more than anything, I think. Right, right. And um, yeah, it's um, it's an awful lot of awful lot of fun. I go to all the conferences I can here in town. I go to a men's conference up at Lake Murray, up, and you know, every first weekend in March every year. Yeah. You just um, got back from that, I believe. I did. Yeah, I did. And um, you know, Gathering Eagles is uh, Memorial Day weekend typically. And, right. And, um, is that the one coming up here in Dallas at the end of, uh, end of May? You're participating in that somehow. No. Right? Well, what, oh, what's the, the, the one? That's the North Texas Roundup. Is ah. in, um, it's at the end of, um, I think it's typically the third weekend in um, end August. Okay. And um, yeah, I might be, I'm helping out a little there. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, the state conference is in June this year. Right. That's, that's here in Irving. Which is between uh, Fort Worth and Dallas. So. Yeah, and mainly the main reason I want people to hear about this is because, like, uh, uh, I was talking to uh, an act- a family member of mine last night, and I mentioned to them something about the uh, the Colorado conference in uh, uh, in Crested Butte coming up in uh, July, and they said. Oh, do they have do, do do they have conferences like that? I said, oh yeah, they are all over the map. I mean, people don't realize how uh, uh, ever uh, uh, ever present. What's the word I'm looking for? They, they, there's just tons. It's of everywhere. Them. Yeah, it's everywhere, right? And well, and the thing I I find really, um, especially the local conferences. You know, when I I've been a GSR and an alternate GSR and. Um, you know, which is a group group representative for the group, mm-hmm. an alternate group representative at, at the um, district level. And so those are meetings you have once a month, a district meeting, and you get to know a lot of people from a lot of different groups. Right. And I did that for about eight years. You mm-hmm. know? So it's fun going to these local conferences, yeah. especially, and seeing these people from around Dallas that I've known throughout my sobriety. And same thing with Crested Butte now, because uh, there's a lot of Texas people, a lot of people from Austin, San Antonio, Houston, go up to Crested Butte for that conference. Those darn Texans going up to Colorado and ruining their Well, you know, if you look at a a map of Texas, the Republic of Texas, 1870, it includes a sliver that goes up into Colorado, (laughs) and Crested Butte is in that sliver. Yes, so so we're still in Texas, <laughs> theoretically. Good to know. Yes, a little geography lesson for those who uh, tune in to Sober Speak today. So, all right, Steve, hey, you're not going to believe this, but we're uh, we have uh, we have uh, put quite a bit of time into this, and I've really enjoyed having you. I appreciate it. Um, once again, if anybody wants to get in contact with us, feedback at SoberSpeak.com or just go to SoberSpeak.com. And Steve has something here. I was going to read uh, page 164 from the book, but Steve has a little something that he is going to read. To- I just wanted to touch on something. I referenced uh, He Who Loses His Life, and it's a good story in the back of the book in um, third edition. And I'm going to read that little paragraph that I read earlier, it says, for me, AA is the synthesis of all the philosophy philosophy I've ever read, all the positive good philosophy, all of it based on love. I've I've seen that there is only one law, the law of love, and there are only two 
two sins. The first is to interfere with the growth of another human being, and the second is to interfere with one's own growth. And um, I leaned on that paragraph a whole lot when I was going through that um, that time with my um, second wife and and trying to trying to justify me um, me finally pulling the plug on that, you know. And um, I was I was killing myself by staying in that situation and I wasn't doing her any good right. you, know? you know sometimes I believe it's easier to see how we are uh, uh, interfering in the growth of other people more than we can see how we're interfering in our own spiritual growth alright so once again I'm going to close this out with page 164 from Alcoholics Anonymous it says abandon yourself to God as you understand God admit your faults to him and to your fellows Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Signing off for this week. Uh, Take care now. Thanks for another uh, episode of Sober Speak.